Mets Chat is brought to you by Walters. While the national season may be winding down, fall sports are just around the corner. Are you looking for a place to host your fantasy football draft with over 30 TVs, free Wi-Fi, and buckets of wings and beers? There's no better place to host your draft party than Walters. With plenty of room indoors or outside on the covered patio, contact Brett at waltersdc.com to reserve your space today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 2-1. Keeboom launches one to left center field. Back on this one, McCutcheon looking up and it is gone. Into and back out of the Phillies bullpen. Carter Keeboom with a long line drive two-run homer, his sixth of the year. And the Nationals get the two runs right back and lead 5-2. Here's the 2-0 pitch, and Marshawn hits one to deep left center field. Bell chasing back toward the alley. He'll turn to watch, and it's gone. It sneaks over the wall into the right corner of the Phillies' bullpen. First home run of the season for Rafael Marshawn has tied the game at 5 in the top of the sixth inning. And the Nationals' lead is all gone. Machado fires, and the 0-2 is ripped into right field for a base hit. Soto will pick it up. McCutcheon headed home. Soto's throw in will be cut off by Ryan Zimmerman. RBI single is a pinch hitter for Odubel Herrera. And the Phillies now lead 9-5. Now the pitch. Low in the dirt gets away from Ruiz. Here comes Segura from third. He'll score. And three runs home in the inning. It's now Philadelphia 12 and Washington 5 on a wild pitch, uncorked by Suero. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, September 1st, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, I want everyone listening to know that we're making history right now with this installment of the Nats Chat podcast because we're actually taping this as the game is still going on. Wander Suero is still pitching in the top of the ninth inning. My God, man. Is it possible to be demoted to AAA and get worse? Because I feel like that's what happened with Wander Suero. That was about as painful of a half inning as I think I've ever seen, Mark. That was brutal. Hang on, Al. I think he just walked another batter. <laughs> yeah, yep, there's ball four. Okay, all right. Well, we'll continue. Wow. Yeah, I mean, this was already a painful night prior to that point, and that only just sealed the deal. You call a guy back up after four weeks in the minors, and you could not have scripted a worse return. Maybe it was a fitting way for this one to end because this was, there was very little good that happened on this day, starting prior to the game and continuing all the way through the game. This was a bad day for the Washington Nationals. 
Yeah, I thought Andres Machado was going to wear the championship belt of worst outing by a Nats reliever on Tuesday night. Oh, no, Wander Suero took that crown, and uh, he took it in uh, convincing fashion. Another uh, three-hour, 50-minute affair between the Nats and the Phillies. We'll do some more on the game, not much more. But there was a big transaction executed by the Nationals on Tuesday afternoon. And, you know, it's one of those things that in the moment certainly shocks you. But of course, if you think about it for like five seconds, it's not that shocking. But of course, it is supremely telling. Victor Robles got sent down to the minors on Tuesday. That which really was unthinkable, what, I don't know, a month ago, two months ago, a year ago, certainly two years ago, has now actually happened. The Nats on Tuesday optioning Robles to AAA Rochester and recalling Andrew Stevenson from Rochester. We have had the Robles discussion many times. He obviously has been playing less and less recently with the rise of Lane Thomas. This is no longer a sniffle situation where Victor's under the weather. Oh no, this is a benching and now this is an official demotion. Were you stunned by this or are you kind of like me where, okay, in the moment, maybe you're surprised. But of course, if you think about it, it does kind of make sense. Yeah, I had the same reaction. There's the initial shock just because, you know, you're not necessarily like expecting that, especially one day before the rosters expand, (laughs) you know? Your head's not in that place. And honestly, pregame, I was thinking more about Alcides Escobar and his knee. Would he be able to play or not? The lineup hadn't come out yet, and we're waiting to find that out and thinking, well, are they going to have to find another infielder to come up to help them out there? And so when we hear, oh, they've made roster moves, your mind goes there first. And then you open up the email, and it says Victor Robles option. You go, whoa. But like you, you very quickly, I transitioned to, well, Yeah, I mean, we saw this coming. The writing had been on the wall here over the last week, and you saw like the stages of how this progressed to this point where I don't think it's all that surprising at all. It had become clear that he was not going to be their everyday center fielder, at least for the rest of this season, and that there wasn't really reason to think that he was going to do him any good to stay up here if he's not going to play. Now, the only thing I would say is the sending him down, like, what is this really going to fix? By banishing him to Rochester for the final month of the season, he was already in a low-pressure situation here, as low as it's going to get for a rebuilding team, and knowing, hey, just go out there and play and do your thing. Now, clearly, he hadn't seized the moment at all. But is going down suddenly going to motivate him to do better, to figure things out that he hadn't figured out before? And if you're the Nationals, are you doing this and in your mind, are you saying, okay, well, we're going to do this and we're going to call him up again before the season's over? Or, okay, we're going to do this and then he's going to come to spring training next year and he's still going to be our center fielder. It's hard for me to see how that happens. Now, Davey Martinez said all the positive things and said he is still a big part of our future here. And you could tell this, like, it hurt Davey to have to have that conversation with him. He cares about Victor Robles. As much as he may aggravate him as a manager sometimes with his play, You know, he cares about these guys, especially the younger guys and someone who was so important to them in winning a World Series. So it was a difficult conversation for him. This one hurt me a lot because, you know, I love Victor to death. And, um, you know, we're going to be good when he he comes back and he's playing well. So um, we we want to get him to start playing really well, not not think about, you know, his average or anything like that. Just go down and play baseball like he's capable of playing. But I think also you have to know that they had reached a point that they decided it's not helping him or us for him to still be up here. So the question now, just in my mind, is, is it going to help him to be down there? Or is this really the end of the road for Victor Robles with the Nationals? 
Well, if Victor goes to the Wander Suero school of being demoted to AAA, then Victor is going to get worse, not better. But yeah, I mean, you raise a really good point. Rosters are about to expand. You're also down a key guy right now in Alcides Escobar to where you had Josh Bell in left field on Tuesday night, and you still demoted Victor Robles. Like, what does that say? You know, it's almost like they just wanted him out of there. They're just like, go to AAA and and try to work on something there. I mean, in theory, he's facing inferior pitching, so maybe he can get his confidence up. I thought it was really interesting what Davey said during his pregame press conference. Davey literally said, we're not asking to hit 300. Like Davey basically said during that pregame presser, can you just be passable offensively? Because we know you're very good defensively. We're not asking you to be Juan Soto. We just need you to get on base a little bit, hit some balls hard, drive balls, have better at-bats. Don't be a mess on the base pass. Davey actually brought up the base running. Be a good base runner every day, every time he's on there. Be aggressive, but be a good base runner. It's just like they just want a level of competence. They just want like a level of like him being passable as an offensive player because we all know that the defense plays. Baseball history is filled with great glove men who aren't great hitters. But all of those guys, you, know, you think about like a Jason Hayward, an Ozzie Smith, whoever else, there's like a level of offensive competence that they could provide. He's not providing that. He's really one of the worst hitters in the majors this year. It's interesting to me this happens on a day on which Patrick Corbin pitches because you have these two guys, two heroes from 2019 who have had these calamitous 2021s and like they're both sort of put in the spotlight on this Tuesday, right? In different ways, but it's like you've had this collapse of Patrick Corbin, you've had this collapse of Victor Robles, and they're both really bad. And, you know, they both kind of came to the forefront on Tuesday. But yeah, man, it does kind of feel like maybe this is it for Victor Robles with the Nats. Who knows? And the other thing, too, and I hate to say this, but maybe this is just who he is. Like maybe he's a fourth outfielder. You know, like maybe he's just a, a, another version of, of Michael A. Taylor where off the bench, okay. And if he has to spell a regular outfielder for a few weeks due to injury, okay. But he's not an everyday player. And I can't believe I'm saying that, but I think we have to wonder about that at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, the two names that came to my mind as you were just going through that whole scenario there are Michael A. Taylor and Danny Espinoza, two guys who were fantastic in the field. And you just year in and year out said if they could just hit a little bit hit 240, hit 250, hit for a little bit of power, put together some decent at-bats, draw some walks, that you can still be a really productive major leaguer because your defense is so good. And in both of those cases, they waited it out for years, and it never happened at the plate, and they finally gave up on them. And in a way, they kind of did this with Robles a little sooner than either of them. But I think the position that they're in as a franchise now, they have to be thinking long-term, who's a part of this and who isn't? And I mean, Robles, this is two years now. So I, I added up his numbers for the last two seasons. Remember the other day I did this with Juan Soto, who had played 162 games to show how good his numbers are. So here's Robles' combined numbers the last two years, and it works out to 159 games. So pretty close. Got a 209 batting average. He's got five homers, 34 RBIs, 12 stolen bases, and seven caught stealing. And that's a big problem there. The ratio and the lack of stolen bases. Only 42 walks a 304 on base percentage and this is the one that I think is most shocking to everyone 302 slugging the slugging is worse than the on base and it's not like the on base is good and the on base is mostly a product of hit by pitch and nothing else he completely lost his power stroke from 2019 and I'm not sure anybody really understands how that happened and where it went and what went wrong there so this is a pretty significant body of work now that they've seen of him 
over two years, and it just hasn't gotten better. And the mistakes are still the same that we see on the bases and the approach at the plate and all those kinds of things. And so you reach a point that you say, it's not doing us any good to keep putting him out there. I just don't know that emotionally this is going to work for him. That is he going to have the right approach to all this now and say, okay, well, I'm just going to work hard to get myself back up here and, and become a better player. I just don't know. And then if that's the case and you get to this winner and they've decided he's really not part of our future, where's his value? I mean, this is a guy who like three years ago, they refused to trade him. And there were offers for JTL Real Muto and you, you name it. And he and Soto and Keyboom were the untouchables. And now what value does he even have if they decide that it's time to part ways? It's a really bad situation. As I've said, it's also a situation that does not reflect well on the organization. Not that it's all the organization's fault, but it never looks good when a guy this gifted plummets like this. And that's the thing. It's not like he's been like this throughout his career. 2019, 17 homers, 91 OPS plus. He's not setting the world on fire. But again, he's at that level of confidence. And that has just evaporated over these last two years. And they don't seem to have any answers. They don't seem to have anything in the way of a fix for Victor Robles. You can always email us at the Nats Chat Podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We got this from Ian. He writes, I'm very upset that we demoted him, but I disagree with the notion that we need to use this last month to let him prove what he is and that he's in the same category as Kbert Ruiz, Lane Thomas, Riley Adams, etc. Robles has been a starter for three years, was in the Game 7 lineup. I think we have a good idea of the player he is, and I think he should be on the opening day roster next year but on a short leash. Yes, he was a top 10 prospect, but if you take a look at past prospect rankings, you'll find one J.P. Crawford for every Ronald Acuna. I think uh, Ian makes some good points, but the thing with Robles is it's also about trying to fix him. So like part of it is trying to figure out who he is, but part of it is just, hey, if we keep playing him, can he maybe get back to the guy he was in 2019? But obviously, as this season has gone on, it's just not happening. Like I think two things are true. I think it is bizarre the way he's been handled, and I don't agree with the way he's been handled in in a lot of ways this year with the yanking of him in the leadoff spot to begin the season, et cetera, batting ninth, et cetera. But he also has not held up his end of the bargain. So like two things are true. I don't think he's been handled well, but he hasn't done anything to sort of shove it back in their face of handle me better. And there's an onus on him to be better, and he hasn't been better. And uh, I don't know if he's going to get better. I know this this is not the last we're going to see a victor, but I just want him to just kind of take a load off his mind and not put so much pressure on himself. Just go down there and just get get things right, get his swing right. And uh, hopefully it won't take him long to get back up here. Nats Chat is sponsored by Silver Brands Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. 
Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park. And make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. Hey, Nats fans, this is Eric Bramer, play-by-play broadcaster for the Fredericksburg Nationals. Time is running out to see the Fred Nats in their inaugural 2021 season at beautiful new Fred Nats Ballpark. With promotions every night of the week and a talented roster that includes Jackson Rutledge, Jeremy De La Rosa, Brandon Bossier, Yordi Barley, and many more, the time's never been better to see tomorrow's Washington National stars today. Visit FredNats.com for ticket information and follow us on social media at FXBGNats for the latest updates. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Corbin with a 3-2, and he walked him. Fastball up and in, spun him out of the way, and Patrick Corbin, three batters faced in the sixth inning. He does not get an out, and he will not get another out as Davey Martinez is out of the dugout and makes the call to the bullpen for the pitching change. It started as a promising night for Corbin with three scoreless innings, but a two-run homer in the fourth, a couple of walks and a run in the fifth, and a two-run homer here in the sixth. And Corbin departs in a 5-5 game. Is he ever going to get better? Uh, we actually got an email. I was I was almost going to start the show with it about whether the Nats should turn Patrick Corbin into a knuckleballer, a la like R.A. Dickey. But the thing is, as we've talked about it, Corbin's velocity is still there. That's not the issue. He just doesn't throw strikes consistently. He gives up way too many homers. And he has outings like this one on Tuesday night in which he gets off to a halfway decent start. But, you know, there's like a part of you as you're watching the game. He throws these three scoreless innings. You say, when's the bottom going to fall out? And sure enough, the bottom fell out. Corbin tosses three scoreless innings, but then unravels. Two runs in the top of the fourth, a run in the top of the fifth, three runs in what ends up being a six-run Philly six. It's ultimately six runs in five innings. He gives up nine hits, two homers, two doubles, and five singles, four walks, four strikeouts, just 53 strikes versus 40 balls. I mean, I'm not going to make us have the same conversation we've had so many times, but this was another brutal outing for this guy. Again, there's that symmetry on this Tuesday of Robles and Corbin, two guys who were good, and have just completely fallen apart. And that's essentially like what my game story was. And the point that I made is that Victor Robles's performance, the Nationals were able to option him to AAA. Patrick Corbin's performance merits a demotion. They can't do it. We've talked about this before. That's just not an option for them. 
with his contract, his veteran status, you can't just send him down, not without him, you know, agreeing to it. And I don't even know what good that would do him at this point. And so the answer is going to be, they're going to keep putting him out there. They're going to try to figure it out. It is so striking how he can look really solid for three innings. I mean, he got through the first three scoreless innings on 39 pitches, and then it all fell apart after that. And that's where, and we've seen this not just with him, but with others on the pitching staff this year in particular, that there's no middle ground. It's like once it starts to go bad, once they don't have it, they can't find a way to just like plug the holes and just get through it and get through six innings and only give up three runs. He doesn't have that in him this year. And that is so agonizing because he's a good enough pitcher to at least do that, you would think. But instead, it's consistently five or six runs every single time. It's mistakes that turn into home runs every single time. He's now given up 33 on the year. He is now the record holder for the Nationals in a single season. And the ERA is now 6-2-6, which is far and away the highest in you know, Nationals history if it holds up. But it's the highest in the majors by more than half a run. Like the next worst ERA is like 5.7. So it's not even close. And nothing's changing. I mean, it's just the same thing over and over again. And it's frustrating for everybody. Yeah, this is almost like this guy made, you know, a Faustian bargain where it's like, you'll be a World Series hero and you'll get a $140 million contract, but then it's all going to go bye-bye. And it has all gone bye-bye. And when he don't have it, I mean, he's just lost out there and there's just nothing good happening. And this was another one of those outings for him on Tuesday night. I do wonder if this continues in the next season, I think you do have to wonder about, do you maybe just make him a reliever, you know, because he does still have the velocity. I mean, it would be ridiculous, right? Paying $140 million to a reliever, but you can't have a third straight season like this. This is last season. He's worse this season. You're going to go through this next season. Even if you're rebuilding next season, you're going to dance this dance again next season with Patrick Corbin. Like something's got to change next year. Either he's got to be better or he goes to the bullpen next year. I really think that's how they have to approach it. I agree, but a couple things are going to have to happen for that to happen. Number one, he would have to actually show that he could, you know, do the workload and be successful in like short couple inning bursts and things like that, which I think is possible. I mean, obviously we saw it work in October of 2019, so he does have that in him. But here's the bigger thing, and here's the reason why he's still in the rotation right now. They need a better alternative. They have no better alternative right now. And it's why I keep saying that going into next season, they need to go out and find themselves a reliable big league starter to take the ball every fifth day and give them semi-quality innings. And this way, okay, you know Cavalli and Gray are going to be part of it. You're hoping Strasburg is somehow part of it, but you don't know. You're hoping Joe Ross is part of it, but you don't really know. You figure Fetty is probably part of it. You need one other guy in there that's just a sure thing. Doesn't have to be great, but just somebody who you know what you're going to get, and he's going to take the ball every fifth day. And if that all works out, then you maybe get to a point that if Patrick Corbin still has a six ERA, you can justify sending him to the bullpen because you have better alternatives in the rotation. Right now, they do not have that. Not in theory, but in reality, nobody's worse than him with that ERA. So you could argue anything is better right now than Patrick Corbin with the way that his season has gone. Well, it was a bad day Tuesday in many ways. There were some good things, and we have something fun for you toward the end of this installment of the Nats Chat Podcast, but do want to mention a few positives. Carter Keeboom on Tuesday night homered 
for a second consecutive game. So Alcides Escobar does not play in the game due to the left knee contusion that was suffered on Monday night. And so you very much had a shuffling of the Nats batting order and also of the defensive alignment. Carter Keepham was the Nats number two batter. Luis Garcia was the Nats starting shortstop. Josh Bell was the Nats starting left fielder. And all three ended up having productive games to varying degrees. But for Keepham now, this is two homers in two games in this series. He, in the bottom of the fourth inning, has a two-run homer to left center field for a 5-2 Nats lead. Yeah, the Nats were up 5-2 in this game. It's hard to remember that that was the case. End up losing 12-6. But this was another 400-foot homer for Keyboom. This one going a projected 412 feet. He also drew a walk in the game. Bottom of the first, drew a one-out four-pitch walk. He did have another lackluster defensive moment in that uh, never-ending Phillies three-run ninth. Keyboom whiffed on an attempted barehanded scoop of a grounder off the bat of Gene Segura on his two-out infield single, but was good to see Carter Homer for a second straight game like this. You know, Carter Keepum now has a 341 on base percentage. Him in the number two spot makes some sense right now. So I like him in that spot. He's delivering. We saw Luis Garcia come through with a couple of hits on Tuesday night. He had an RBI ground rule double and a single. And we saw Josh Bell, again, playing at left field, have another game in which he gets on base multiple times. He has a double, a single, and a walk. So with Alcides out, there's a domino effect, but uh, those three guys do end up coming through. Yeah, and I'll throw Ryan Zimmerman in there as well because you this gave you the opportunity to have Bell and Zimmerman together. And, you know, honestly, a one through five of Thomas, Keboom, Soto, Bell, Zimmerman, Ruiz, one through six, that's kind of intriguing, you know, in its own way. It, I mean, it may not be the lineup to end all lineups, it may not compete with a World Series lineup, but there's some intrigue in there. And so I was kind of glad to see that. There were good things early in this game, but I'm going to point out they happened against Matt Moore, who is not a good starting pitcher for the Phillies. And once he was out of the game and went to the bullpen, there was not a whole lot else that happened offensively. We need to see these guys do this against some higher quality pitching before we start getting really excited about what Carter Keepham's doing. Yes, these are good signs, of course. Anytime he hits a ball with authority like that, it's a good thing. He's now got to show it. The others have to show it night in and night out and against quality pitching. So let's see what happens the rest of the week. I like uh, Carter's chain, too, the gold chain. He looks like a G when he's out there. So he's feeling himself with that. And the eye black at night. Yes, the eye black at night. He's the master of that. Lane Thomas, we should say, too, another game in which he gets on base multiple times. Two at RBI double, bottom of the second, leadoff five-pitch walk in the Nats' two-run fourth. One more thing I want to make mention of, because I feel like we have to make mention of this. So you mentioned K-Bert Ruiz gets an RBI in this game, does have a hit as well. We do not see Riley Adams, but the player who the Nats traded to the Toronto Blue Jays for Riley Adams, Brad Hand, was designated for assignment on Tuesday. Let that sink in for a moment. Brad Hand, who was the Nationals' closer, a guy who the Nats gave $10.5 million to this past offseason, So bad for the Toronto Blue Jays, he was designated for assignment on Tuesday. Brad Hand with Toronto, 10 runs, 7 earned in 8 and 2 thirds innings. Remember the Nats got to hand. It wasn't just the Nats who got to hand. Everybody had a turn with Brad Hand. Three run, opposite field, home run, number 20 of the season for Josh Bell. It clears the big wall in right center into the first row. And the Nationals treat their former teammate quite rudely. And so he has been a total bust for the Blue Jays. And the Nats got back for him, this guy in Riley Adams, who maybe just maybe is a something something to build upon in the future. But that's something else. Brad Hand DFA'd by the Blue Jays on Tuesday. That one got a reaction when the news came out. 
earlier in the day from people. Also feeling bad for Brad Hand, people who got to know him this year and, and like are surprised by that and believe that he's a better pitcher than that and surprised that one month later after acquiring him, they would do that. But the numbers speak for themselves. And like we were saying with Corbin, this was such a problem for Hand this year. When he was good, he was really good. The problem is when he was bad, it all fell apart and there was no middle ground and no ability to work his way out of stuff when he didn't have it on a given night. And the blowups were bad, really bad. And he's had a few of them for Toronto. And so now, boy, a guy who, you know, over the offseason was kind of regarded as the best available free agent reliever and, and people, ourselves included, really liked the signing the Nationals made of him. Where's he going to be next year and what kind of contract is he going to get at this point? So Mike Rizzo turned John Lester into Lane Thomas, turned Brad Hand into Riley Adams, claimed Patrick Murphy off waivers from the Blue Jays. Mike Rizzo is working his mastery over these uh, last uh, few weeks. We'll see what it ultimately proves to be, but geez, that was a stunner. I mean, Robles to AAA is a stunner in some ways, but Hand DFA'd, that's probably more of a stunner. All right, well, one of the pleasant surprises for the Nationals this season has been the secret weapon, the flagship pitcher for the Nats Chat Podcast, Paolo Espino. He's done a really good job, all things considered. His story really is something else. Like, it's one thing to know that Paolo Espino is on the Nats. It's another thing to know the backstory, which is so unique and so special and such a credit to him. We had the chance to chat with Paolo Espino. It was a lot of fun, and uh, we give that to you right now. As runners lead first and second, and comes set. Outfield the other way a bit toward left. The pause, the kick, and the pitch. Swing it, a ground ball right side. Second baseman Garcia has it. Plenty of time. Short throw to Mercer. Get out your brooms. A curly W and a sweep in the books. As the Nationals sweep the series from the Pirates, match their longest winning streak of the year. Four in a row. They've won five out of six. And Brad Hand's 13th save and 15 tries preserves the first major league win for right-hander Paolo Espino, who pitched five shutout innings in the start here this afternoon. Very pleased to welcome to the Nats Chat Podcast right now, one of our favorites and one of the best stories on the 2021 Nationals, Paolo Espino. Paolo, thanks so much for taking the time to come on, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, now even better. Now talking to you guys. Awesome. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, thank you for coming on. We're doing better, too. So I know that this season for the Nats as a whole hasn't been what you guys had hoped for. But for you personally, 10th round pick of Cleveland in the 2006 MLB draft, you have totaled just 30 major league innings prior to this season. To have pitched as much as you have, to have had the success that you've had, what has this season been like for you? It's been awesome. So many different roles and uh, so many things going on. But it's been great. Uh, I've just been blessed with the opportunity that the team has been giving me. This is what I've been doing my entire career. And I think that's that's what I've been uh, working on. I mean, being ready for whenever this opportunity was uh, going to come up. And now we're here and uh, we're doing our best to help the team. How gratifying has that been? Because you've taken a long path. We're going to get to it here about every step you've taken to get to this, to finally have the payoff of that and be up here for basically the entire season and, and have a prominent role on the team. How gratifying is that for you? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, that's how you see all, all the work and everything that you do at the end paid off, paid, paid off. Like all the support that I've been giving from my family, uh, friends, and all these people always behind me. And this is just unreal. Like I, I'm just very happy that it finally that I'm fi finally like having a little 
more like of what you dream of. I mean, this is from from the beginning. Once I I got drafted, this is the first thing that I was hoping I would get to uh, live. And finally, now I'm I'm living the the dream of a baseball player, get to the big leagues and enjoying all the all the good thing that is happening. Were there times during your journey in which you thought, eh, maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe you know I need to think about doing something else. Or did you always have the feeling that this was going to work out eventually? Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's tough. Uh, there were a few times. I mean, so many. I mean, in, in my long career, so many things happened. I mean, I got released twice uh, from different teams. There were a few moments when, I'm like, man, I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, one of the, the toughest part was the first time I ever got released. That was in 14 with the Cubs. That was that was the hardest punch. I, I, I had no idea what to do. But this time I was still single. I mean, I was dating my wife, my, my now wife, but I was still single. And I didn't have much, how do you say? Uh, I mean, I didn't have a family. So I thought, I, I mean, I, if this doesn't work, I can probably go see something else, what I'm going to start doing. Uh, but then in 18, that's when the Rangers released me. So this was the second time. But by this time, I have a, I have my daughter. So this time, I actually was worried because what I'm going to do now. But at the end of the day, I, I was not giving up. I, I never gave up. Uh, I knew this is what I wanted to do. I know this is this is what I've been doing my entire life, my entire career. So I never... I mean, put my glove down. So I, I was always working hard. I was training. I was always, I've been going to winter ball every year, trying to get better, improve, work on some, uh, some things. And I think uh, all the things that I, that I've been working on and all the little details, I think now they're, they're finally uh, showing up. So I don't know how many people really know the full path. So let me just like put it in some numbers here. Maybe you don't even know some of these numbers. <laughs> In parts of 13 seasons in the minor leagues, you pitched in 342 games, 225 starts, 1,500 innings, 1,500 and a third innings, plus another 331 and two-thirds innings in like the Dominican, so international ball. You've spent parts of 10 different seasons in AAA. I mean, that takes some perseverance to do that. And I think people don't also know this. You were with the Nationals for a while in the organization from 2014 to 16, pitching at double A and triple A. So, I mean, that is a long and winding path. And so what I wonder is, you mentioned that last time you were released by Texas, the Nats end up bringing you back in 2019. Mm-hmm. Was there like a good relationship still with the team that made you want to come back to them or that they wanted to bring you back? Yeah, yeah. I I always, I always try to keep good relationship with everybody. And well, also my agent... Uh, they, they have, he had a good relationship with the, with the front office. So, but I always, I always stay in touch. I always keep talking to them and, uh, yeah, they, they've been great. I mean, the front office here with the nationals, they've been awesome with me and they brought me back in 18 when I, in 19, when I thought that, man, it might, it is, it might be it. So I signed late, late in, uh, in 19 that year in February. So I'm just happy, happy that I'm here. And uh, I'm just going to keep working, keep doing everything I can to keep going on as long as I can, as long as I'm healthy and as long as I, I, can, I feel that I can keep pitching, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep playing. So one of the things that we've especially appreciated about you is your penchant for working quickly and throwing strikes, you know, in, in a time in which you see so many pitchers work slowly and nibble. You're really a breath of fresh air 
have you always been a pitcher who works quickly and seeks to aggressively attack the strike zone? Or is that like an approach that evolved over time? Uh, I think I mean, that's been that's been my thing. That's been my mark, I think. I always go out there. I, I throw strikes. I know I'm, I have to be that type of pitcher. I, I don't I can't overpower uh, hitters. So I know I have to attack the zone no matter what. So that's been my my thing. I think pretty much my entire career. Just go out there and try to get quick outs. And also, I mean, starting, I, I always try to go as deep as I can. So to be able to go deep in games, you have to you have to be able to throw strikes, uh, minimize the deep count. So, uh, yeah, I think that that would be one of my my things. Uh, strike thrower that I mean doesn't throw as don't go deep uh, to deep counts. So when did you kind of along the way realize that that could be an effective way to pitch? Like, did, was there a moment or a season that you knew, okay, this, this style, like this works for me, this, this will have success? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say probably about my, my fourth or fifth year in pro ball. I mean, you always at the beginning try to see if you can throw hard, but that never came for me. I mean, my average has been, I think my entire career I've been throwing the, about the same, 88, 90, 92 in a good day, you might hit, I might hit 93, but I figured that out quick. That's been my role. That's, that's what I've been doing pretty much my, my entire career. It's so interesting to the way you've been used this year, because we've obviously seen you start. We've seen you be used as a reliever. And in baseball now, pitchers more and more are seeing the lines blurred between starters and relievers. Like, you're always going to have the Max Scherzer types who are strictly starters, but there are more and more pitchers who in a season are used as both starters and relievers. Do you think that that's good for pitching and pitchers? Like, do you like being someone who is viewed as versatile and can thus start and relieve, or would you prefer to have one specific role on a pitching staff? Uh, I think in my case, it might be a little different. I have to um, be able to do everything because I've done it in the past. So I think for me specifically, specifically, I think I, I need to be able to do everything. But uh, it's nice to have one role. Uh, if, you, if you're a starter, uh, you can stay in that routine the entire year. That helps you. If you're in the bullpen, you can, you can do that same routine the whole year. But I think also if you are able to do both, it brings more, more opportunity. That's why I think for me, that's the, that's the case. I need to be able to do more so to see if I can get more opportunities from that. That's what I've been uh, focusing on because, I mean, it's tough. Baseball is tough. And at my age, I need to be able to do some extra stuff to be able to stick around a little longer. So that's why I think I'm going to, whatever I get an opportunity, if it's starting, relieving, closing, I'm going to try to do the best I can in every single situation. So along those lines, probably the two biggest highlights of the season for you, I would guess, were your first career win, which came as a starter, and then your first career save, which happened in Philadelphia at the end of just a crazy game in Philadelphia. So for you, did one of those stand out more than the other? Is it the one that you, uh, you, know, you think you'll remember more fondly? Uh, I was definitely looking forward for the first win. Uh, the first save, I wasn't sure that was going to happen. It came through, but... I was definitely looking forward for the first win. And I think that one might stick around for a little longer. But I mean, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to get another save opportunity. So that save one is going to be pretty, pretty awesome, too. Uh, it's going to stay in my head for, uh, for a long time. With your journey, are there specific people who have helped you along the way in terms of a coach or a teammate or an executive, like people who have influenced you, people who you look back upon and say, man, you know what? 
he really helped me to keep going and to improve uh, as a pitcher? Oh yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm gonna say my 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 dad. I mean, he's been he's been there my entire career, ups and downs and everything. He's the first person that I call if anything happens. Good news, bad news. He's the one that is there all the time. Uh, my mom, she's always there too. Uh, from the oh, when I was in little league, she was the one that was taking me to baseball games all, on the on the weekends. So. Other than that, I mean, I had a few coaches uh, that they definitely told me that to never give up. I mean, at some at some point, at some day, someone was going to give me an opportunity. So yeah, there there are a few there are a few people that are there that they they gave me hope. They gave me a little extra support when I when I was doubting. So yeah, there's a few. So you were born in Panama, but you actually did grow up in Florida and went to uh, high school in Bradenton, Florida. How did that come about? How did your parents decide to do that? So, yeah, I, uh, I went to a boarding school. I went to Florida through uh, my cousin. So this is, it goes a little, a little back too. So uh, I have a cousin that he played. He was in his last year's high school in Panama when he got drafted. So he came to the States during his senior year. So because he wasn't, he, he was already a pro pro player. He couldn't play for the high school. So he would train at this academy. And he told them at this baseball academy about me. And that's how they heard about me. So I ended up traveling over there, doing like a little tryout. I, I worked out and then I ended up going to a, uh, the high school from the, from the academy. So that's how everything started. Excellent. Well, Paolo, we appreciate you coming on so much. It's been a lot of fun watching you pitch and watching your story develop as it has this season. And uh, keep it going, man. We wish you nothing but the best. Awesome. Thank you very much. I'm all, I'm always here. Uh, anytime. Thank you, Paolo. Thank you. Outfield deep and playing him the opposite way. Harrison is shallower, though, and left. 2-1 pitch. Swung on line drive. Caught by Jordy Mercer in the hole at second. And a curly W and a sweep of the two-game series is in the books. Paolo Espino notches a save here in the bottom of the ninth inning. And the Nationals, who came back three different times in this game, have beaten the Phillies this afternoon. The final score at Citizens Bank Park with a curly W in the books. The Nationals 13 and the Phillies 12. First career save for Paolo Espino. All right, so we thank Paolo Espino for joining us. And, you know, Mark, it's not often that players thank us for coming on the podcast, but Paolo thanked us. This is someone who genuinely very much seems to be enjoying himself and genuinely seems to be appreciative of what he's done this season. Uh, You really feel good for the guy. Yeah, and I saw him in the dugout later on during batting practice and thanked him again. And and he, you know, again, just said, like, thank you anytime you guys need it. Like, he's just such a pleasure. He's having the time of his life. I know, you know, the season for the team has not worked out how anyone would, would like. But for him personally, this has been a revelation and a long time coming for him. And you can tell just what it means for him to finally get the opportunity to stick up here, to have some success. We detailed the long path that it took to get here. I mean, there are so many points along the way that he could have walked away from it and nobody would have faulted him if he did. You know, there are plenty of others have, have walked away a lot sooner, a lot earlier than he did. And he stuck with it and he's being rewarded for it now. And like we've said, 
there's reason to think that they try to bring him back next year in some capacity, and maybe he could actually be a part of this thing moving forward. Well, Paolo is supposed to pitch in Game 3 against the Phillies at Nationals Park on Wednesday night, and that's trying to avoid a three-game sweep, but weather not supposed to be good. A whole lot of rain in the forecast, so we'll see if the game is played. But Paolo Espino versus Aaron Nola is the pitching matchup. If the game is not played, I still think Davies should send Wander Suero out there on the mound just as punishment for that ninth inning on Tuesday. My God, throw strikes, Wander. Please, we're begging you, man. Throw strikes. Wait, hang on, hang on. He's still, here. here's the pitch. Oh, no, there's another ball four. Wild pitch. Here comes another run in the score. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He goes to triple A and he gets worse somehow. That's hard to do. And yet he pulled that off. Well, you tell us what you think. You can always tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. A thank you again to the secret weapon, Paolo Espino. And get yourself a secret weapon t-shirt by going to Nats chat podcast dot square dot site. A reminder, if you don't already subscribe to the podcast, please consider doing so. Doing so costs you nothing. And if you haven't yet given the podcast a five-star rating and uh, written like a one or two sentence review saying how much you like the podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts, please do those things. If you have the time, it takes like 30 seconds. Helps us out a lot. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. And we leave you with one of our latest World Series memories from 2019. This one comes to us from David McGee of Lincoln, Nebraska. Hey, guys. This is David. I'm calling from Lincoln, Nebraska. I was toying with whether or not to send in one of these. But when you had another call from Lincoln, I couldn't help but send in a message. March of 2019, my wife and I got married. I've been a baseball fan and a NAP fan for as long as I can remember, but this was her first experience following a baseball season. So uh, when things didn't go very well, she was kind of out of it. And at 19 and 31, I was kind of preparing her for what could be coming later in the season when the trade deadline came and all of her favorite players could be gone. Turns out that didn't happen. We all know what happened and the Nats won the World Series. But as things developed, throughout the year and the Nats started to play better and better. She became more and more wrapped up. She became fans of uh, players specifically like Zim and Turner and Soto, of course. So I remember we watched the Nats come back against the Mets on September 3rd together. And at this point, the excitement is really growing for the playoffs for her the first time. Once we got to the playoffs and when we started to advance, especially after the Dodgers series, she started to call it our miracle marriage year. She was all invested at this point, totally into the games. Before each game, especially during the World Series, she would say this little prayer asking for the Nats to win. I don't know that that really had any effect, but, you know, hey, they won. So, I don't know, maybe you did. But when the moment came and the Nats actually won the World Series, I was actually rather sanguine. I didn't really know what to do. It had been so long since, you know, I'd really experienced anything like that. So, her, she probably was more excited than me in the moment. Since then, as I've gone back and really relived it, I uh, have been able to really, really savor that moment. But that was a fun experience for us in our miracle marriage year. And now she's a Nats fan for life. We have family in the D.C. area, so we get back to visit them every so often. And we even made our Nats Park debut this year. Seeing them in person at Nats Park was just a real treat as well. We got to see Max pitch before he got traded, and we're really glad we got to do that. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Scherzer over the head into the wind, and the pitch on the way. Swing and a miss. Struck him out with a cutter, and that retires the side. Max Scherzer out of the bullpen of the eighth inning, strikes out the side.